welcome to DevOps Decrypted. Uh, this is our episode number nine, Cloudy with a Chance of DevOps. Um, I'm your host, Roby Greenfield, uh, and joining me today, we have Jobin, and we have a new speaker, Peter Dugavitas with us, who is the Principal DevOps Architect at Adaptivist. Ooh. Ooh. Welcome, Peter. <laughs> welcome. Hello. Sorry, I wasn't around for the last episode. I unfortunately finally caught COVID after not uh, managing to get it for however many years. Um, but sadly, Matt will will no longer be joining us because he's decided to leave Adaptivist, sad face. Uh, but we have Peter now, so, you know, out of the old in with the new. <laughs> I hope to be able to fill the shoes to at least half. <laughs> I'm sure you will. And I'm sorry, Matt, if you're listening. We didn't mean it to sound so rude. We miss you. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to get back, Matt, as a guest probably in, uh, you know, telling us about how wonderful he's doing in this new uh, adventure <laughs> and, you know, Absolutely. brag about it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, it'd be fun to have him back as a guest. So on today's episode, um, we are going to be doing um, some bright talks. And I know, Jobin, you're going to be doing a bright talk. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, this is going to be a talk on modernizing applications with DevOps. Uh, we'll be doing this as, the, uh, as part of the day-to-day -day DevOps with Helen Beal. Um, I think there's going to be representation from GitLab, DigitalAI, and myself, Adaptivist. Uh, we'll be, it's more like a panel discussion on modernizing applications with DevOps. Uh, there's going to be a lot of things around it, but um, Peter, now that you're here, uh, what comes to your mind uh, when you talk about modernizing applications with DevOps? Just one thing. I mean, obviously, we don't have we don't want to have a panel discussion here about that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in a word, I would say architecture, and leading on from that, containerization as a, as an approach. It all comes back to containerization, isn't it? I think I think pretty much everything tends to yeah. I mean, it it's it's you get. The, all those benefits and uh, yeah I, I promise not to talk too long about this um but with containerization you get the benefits of isolation encapsulation all those things that are good for portability and 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 resilience and i can run my app wherever i want in the same way it's very ex you know expected results um and that's very different from what's been historically available um, within on-prem data centers and and within more legacy uh, software approaches. So, if anything, modernization would be that. Um, another was word would probably be monitoring. <laughs> Agreed. I was I was actually taking notes, so I can speak about the exact same thing uh, on the on the right talk. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> All right, but that's not just about it, right? I, I was actually going through a white paper that's coming out soon regarding DevOps in the cloud, and um, you're a primary contributor on that. So should we talk about it? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, like we, we've done a white paper um, to talk about, you know, cloud, cloud migrations, and eventually then DevOps in the cloud. Um, and it's the big differences that are between on-premise data centers and in the cloud and specifically also the combination or not the combination rather but the distinction between cloud hosted and cloud native and it's very it's very along the same lines where 
the word DevOps means a lot of different things to different people. To me, it's very much a culture-based thing. It's a set of beliefs and, and that kind of thing that allow you to get to a much more resilient, functional, um, higher functioning and, and eventually better quality application system for your, for your clients and for your customers. Um, moving to the cloud enables you to do a lot of things much more easily because everything effectively turns into software defined. So now if I need a new machine, if I need new capacity, if I need more anything, I can very, very easily, very quickly write a little script, stand up some new compute resources, and boom, I'm, I'm now running at a much higher capacity than I was. Whereas with the old in the old data centers, I would have to provision hardware. I'd have to ship hardware. I'd have to now bring it into the data centers. I'd have to worry about all the power requirements. And in a more a cloud-based approach, you don't have to worry about a lot of those things in, in terms of the um, shared responsibility model. Um, yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of things that you mentioned. Things that you mentioned, so we, we need to break it down. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's it, it's it, it's funny when you mentioned about cloud hosted versus cloud native, right? That that's that's uh, something that a lot of people doesn't grasp. Uh, like for example, we were talking about uh, running monoliths in in cloud uh, just in the last episode. Uh, so obviously, cloud hosted means you can take a monolith, you know, exactly as it is in on prem, and put it in a container, or maybe on an EC2 instances in cloud and it, it becomes cloud hosted, right? But yeah. that's not necessarily yeah. cloud native. No, it's it, it's it's a relatively fine distinction, but it's a very, very important one. Um, like at the end of the day, cloud is just somebody else's computer, if you think about it that way. Mm -hmm. So I can take whatever I want, whatever application I might have, and I can stick it onto a machine that I got from AWS, whether that's an EC2 instance, or maybe I got an Azure machine from Azure or a GCP machine from Google. And now my application is now in the cloud. Woohoo! So I, I get all those benefits and it's, and it's a great thing to be sure. But from an architect, like when you talk, start talking about cloud native, Cloud native really becomes more of a set of architectural decisions, architectural guidelines, application design guidelines for maximum resiliency, uptime, um, disaster recovery potential, um, all those things. So it, yeah, it's, a, it's I, I much it's more a, of a, sorry, go ahead. It is a good time to bring up the arts of cloud migration because when you say cloud hosted, we are probably talking about a rehost, which is the first R. Then you mm -hmm. have replatform, repurchase, refactor, uh, retain, and repair, right? Yep. Uh, so yep. what you are talking about is more like replatforming and refactoring, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Like cloud, if, again, cloud native. Like to 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 do a cloud migration, you'd be following the R's. Um, if you're doing maybe a brand new application, you'd, you'd look towards things like 12 factor apps or those kind of things where you, you start building them with things like, um, messaging or, or, or a degree of asynchronous behavior to better mimic or better, uh, get your application design across where 
and and again the you know you get into differences of do i refactor do i greenfield um whether or not scope scale everything else lets you go one way or the other but you you still want to take into account the underlying capabilities of cloud such as really easy auto scaling software defined pretty much everything um and you're you're no longer limited by oh it's going to take me six weeks to get a database from the database team Mm. or to stand up a new oracle instance or to stand up a new you know uh hadoop cluster or something like that because i need 200 nodes to run my data lake well i can do now that i can now do that rather I, I'm, I'm just learning how to speak now this, this week so <laughs> i only speak computer um, i just I, I i speak like this usually um you you have the ability through some because everything's software defined to stand up and tear down things very very easily very very quickly which also then begets into an r d mentality where i can try something out i can see if it works I can throw it away with very little cost incurred in terms of effort and in terms of, of, of actual um, tangible cost in, and, and tangible assets. But I'm also now enabling my development teams to operate that much faster. And again, now you can start to talk about time to market, um, you know, again, delivering the value stream that much faster those kind of things and, and providing the business value to your your end customers much much quicker and much more um better to use a very under <laughs> underwhelming word <laughs> yeah i think for me i mean when you're talking about devops and cloud uh, there are these basic pillars uh, pillars which we talk about right scalability which you mentioned about uh, mm-hmm. then there is high availability disaster recovery lot of those core things that you would be uh, looking for when you're when you're re-architecting your application that's there uh, but you also mentioned about the flexibility with environments right uh, yeah. so yeah. that could mean a lot of things uh, Romy, you would probably appreciate it since you're from the product team mm-hmm. you know to spin up environments faster because uh, yeah. i think you go back 10, 10 years back uh, to get a new test environment it probably took weeks uh, if not months Right, but now mm-hmm. it is to to spin up an environment uh, in AWS. It just takes us, uh, I don't know, a few minutes, right? Uh, especially when we have our own AWS accounts like Adaptive, which gives us it's even more easier. Um, so that's yeah. definitely there. Spinning up environments faster. Um, then there are parallel environments for testing because earlier. Uh, you have 10 developers working in a single test environment. Somebody breaks the environment, everybody else goes for coffee or tea because you can't work on the environment anymore <laughs> because it is down, right? Yeah, yeah. Now everybody gets their own environment, which means, you know, uh, parallel development. Uh, I think, Peter, you also mentioned uh, touched on ephemeral environments, right? Just bring up environments as you need it. Yep. And one of the biggest things of all of this, like we've we've thrown around the word environment so much, one of the biggest parts of this is that environment is going to be all or can have can have the potential to be a mirror of what's in production. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge one where you traditionally have had development environments, test environments that are shades and shadows of what production grades, size, configuration, all those things are. 
if you if and when you need to you can have non-production stacks um with the identical configurations identical sizing identical everything um attached to them in in production or non-production and that begets the idea of what Jobin just mentioned ephemeral environments where the environment itself now becomes just an environment and now you can hang whatever label you feel like using on it so yeah. today it's a dev environment but now you can promote that entire environment to dev to test to, to load to production um and instead of now just the artifact being a jar file or a npm or whatever um you could actually promote entire environments from, it is sort from of one like, level to another like it's 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 kind of getting your cake and eating it too in a way and it i love sort cake. Of like <laughs> cake cake is always good. more cake <laughs> it is sort of like blue green environments when you think about it right what part of color you want yeah. to put on it you have similar environments all the way through to production so yeah you take a staging environment today it is staging tomorrow it becomes your production right yeah uh, and that, that helps with uh, i don't know zero downtime deployments uh, you just want to point your uh, maybe your application load balancer into the new environment and boom there it goes right yeah. maybe <laughs> yeah. uh, with technologies like kubernetes you're probably talking about canary deployments and stuff but anyway whatever it is right you have similar environments lying all over all the way to your test environment maybe mm -hmm. even your developer mm -hmm. environment because you are spinning up using the same code that you're using to spin up the uh, production environment, right? Yep. Yeah. No, it, it's it's very much, and I, I think I'll, I'll be the first to then coin it. We, we're going to call these adaptivist rainbow environments <laughs> because really they're blue, green, orange, purple, red, whatever, whatever color of the rainbow we want to use to represent whatever stage of the process we're in. Exactly. But, um, that's, the, the, that's, that's really the punchline is that um, moving to the cloud is the first step of that journey of embracing the cloud, which eventually will get you to being more cloud native in thought process, implementation, and all those kind of things. Um, and that's that's really what you know what I really enjoy doing for a lot of our clients is kind of opening their eyes a little bit in some ways to say like. Being on AWS is cool because, you know, that's where all the cool kids are and it's a nice buzzword to have and, and those kind of things. But the actual power that comes with that and the ability that you can incur or infer or and then empower everybody with is it's pretty cool. Yeah. And if you take a step back, right, I mean, what we are saying is DevOps was always good. Right? DevOps came up with a lot of practices, obviously. Yeah. It took a cultural change, and we are talking about CA and CD and mm -hmm. creating appropriate branching strategies, creating appropriate environment strategies, release strategies, right? That was all good. But once it got married to cloud, it became even more easier. Now you have the technology yeah. to make it even faster, right? Uh, as yeah. I said, you know, spinning up environments as needed, all those kind of things. It becomes so much more easier. Um, so DevOps in cloud is actually one more step ahead uh, where everything is easier, right? Yeah. DevOps supercharged. 
<laughs> DevOps and, squared. <laughs> yeah, and cloud also comes up with certain other advantages, right? I mean, there is like centralized governance that you can do on it. Um, so it's not just anybody mm. can create anything that you want. You can also set up certain practices, certain standards, governance around it, so that you know you're creating only what you are allowed to do it, uh, even if it is on cloud, right? So there is actually mm-hmm. security as well, right? Governance yeah. and security, right? Yeah, I mean, we use that a lot for when we have support engineers where they might need to read information so that they can understand whether something's going wrong and highlight it to us or if that's not the issue. So, you know, giving them access to certain like pieces of infrastructure that's available in the cloud to allow them to make our lives easier and their lives easier because they know what's going on rather than having to wait for a developer to actually go and investigate it. But we found that really handy on our team. Um, it's definitely improving like the yeah. speed of response that people are getting in support mm-hmm. and obviously yeah. no risk of them deleting something <laughs> business critical by accident <laughs> yeah well and that's and that's the one thing that I think in a lot of um, in a lot of journeys um, identity and access management sometimes becomes a little bit of an overlooked aspect of things uh-huh. and again in the cloud what you can do with let's say an application load balancer is I can by code automatically wrap that in an authentication request against an Active Directory database, let's say, so that as developers, you no longer have to worry about or have them worry about a lot of the, um, you know, uh, implementing fine grain permissions and access and everything else. We can actually delegate that to a different layer of the application and delegate that actually to the platform that it's running on. Uh So that's where you get into the, again, being more cloud native, you can embrace um, the, 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 the underlying platforms, whether that's public cloud or private cloud. And that's, that's another distinction to have is when we talk about public and private clouds, um, you know, we're talking about AWS, Azure, GCP, those kind of things in public cloud, but all of this, cloud-ish behavior and everything else equally applies to private clouds like either Pivotal Cloud Foundry or any of the Cloud Foundry family um, or things like OpenShift and Kubernetes at its base. Kubernetes being the the open source version of of, of backing that, that powers things like um, Elastic Container Service, EKS on Amazon, Azure Containers on Azure and, and um, G, uh, GCP, uh, Google Container Platform. It's it's interesting that you brought it up because, you know, I always have this, um, I'm torn between, you know, being cloud native versus uh, cloud agnostic, right? I mean, obviously you can be as much cloud native as you want, but then you're probably married to certain vendors, right? I, I love AWS, you know, we are an AWS partner, but at the same time, do you want to be using uh, things like EKS or would you be using, you know, Kubernetes and running it on EKS or uh, GCP, uh, wherever you like, as opposed to, you know, being married to one particular vendor? It's, well, and, and that's 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 part of the argument of why you, 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 again, everything kind of rolls back to containers. So long as you've containerized an application in a way that makes it portable, I no longer care as an application developer um, specifically where my application is running. I don't care necessarily as a product owner 
where my application is running, I can defer that to the platform teams. And if the platform team chooses AWS, that's fine. If they choose Azure, that's fine. GCP, that's fine. All I care about is the ability to run my application and, and get a, a URL somewhere, right? And that, and that so, is absolutely right. But when you think about, let's say, creating the infrastructure, right? I mean, there are so many different ways to spin up infrastructure on AWS. Uh, you can be using, you know, Ansible, <laughs> Terraform, mm -hmm. but you can also be using CDK. I mean, I know you are yeah, a big fan yeah. of CDK, right? Uh, yep. But once you're using CDK, then obviously you're married to that technology. If you want to go to Azure, you can't use CDK. Uh, well, and and again, that becomes part of the choice of 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 where you end up going, and and again, it becomes more of a business choice. And you have you have the ability to run Kubernetes, for instance, as your your base level um, kind of uh, baseline, um, but you could actually have your worker nodes maybe spread out across multiple cloud hosts. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing that, again, it, gave, it gives you that abstraction layer that I can have, for instance, um, I know, I know, uh, I know the one place that was running um, an OpenShift Kubernetes cluster, but they happen to be running some of the worker nodes on AWS, some of the worker nodes on Azure, some of the worker nodes on GCP. They ran a mixture of Linux and Windows hosts. So now mm -hmm. you can host both Windows workloads and Linux workloads, but they're all appearing through a common control plane, a common, um, a common interface, using common deployment manifests, those kind of things. So again, as with all things in IT that I'm sure we're all aware, well aware of, there's trade-offs. So mm -hmm. you get six of these, but you have to pay seven of those or you get half a dozen of these and you get a half a dozen of those. And with infinite choice comes infinite complexity. <laughs> it does. So True. being cloud agnostic is not always safe, is what we are saying. Or uh, easy. <laughs> or easy, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely not easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of the time it's also good like we everyone's got to start somewhere so let's you know back to the an agile principle of minimal viable product okay so mm -hmm. for the first run we're going to do aws and eks and get our application running now that our application is running now we can loop back and say okay well actually you know what maybe we do want to make sure that we're on on uh aws and azure well, our DevOps, the platform team guys can take a look at this. And because we're running Kubernetes, because we've got a containerized application, the effort to go from one to the other or cross both is much, much simpler than it is if, if, if to say that um, I had a more legacy application that had 26 different components, but they're all extremely tightly coupled they all need direct network access to each other or something um, as again as opposed to be having um, HTTP links between them and stuff and again then you get back into the whole application design portion of this but that's that's also part of that whole you know moving to cloud is one thing but being cloud native is another yeah where because I mean it's it's there's very, very so easy. many choices 
Sorry, go ahead. Uh, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say that it's very, very easy when you're talking about Kubernetes, right? Uh, we know that you know uh, it can be ported mm -hmm. anywhere, but when you're married to technology like Lambda, for example, being mm -hmm. a cloud native technology, it's not going to be that easy because once you have made that decision and once you have started working on it for maybe a year, maybe two years, you are married to the technology now, there is no equivalent alter alternative on the other cloud platforms. So when you are in that re-architecting, re-platforming phase, you might have to think about, okay, what am I going to need in two years time, five years time? I mean, am I looking at creating an application that's cloud agnostic? I mean, is that one of my priorities or is it just going to be, you know, uh, doing it faster, quicker, take all the advantages of uh, the cloud native services offered by certain cloud providers. Lambda is a good example, right? Um, so I think making that decision early on will help you in the long run, don't you think? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and as, and as with everything is, you know, architectural principles are are those kind of much more broad concerns of do I go this way or that way? But it's also then making sure that we're all understanding the impacts of going one way or the other, because L, you know, every decision has consequences. Mm -hmm. You know, if I pick chocolate, I can't have strawberry. But you know, there occasionally there's times when you you know come to Adaptivist and we'll help you get Neapolitan, and you can have all three. <laughs> um, that's the thing. And, you and can have all three, but. You've only got a limited supply of each. <laughs> exactly. Again, trade-offs, right? And that's, I think, yeah. you know, we talked about that earlier as well, is that, you know, with everything, every decision, every every decision has consequences, every decision has trade-offs. Um, and it's, you know, it's up to us as, and, you know, myself as a principal solutions architect or, or consultant, or I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to be called anymore. Um <laughs> You know, it, it, it's up to us as, as, as system architects, as system analysts to look at the system as a whole and make those decisions and try to guide, you know, into best practices, you know, follow things like uh, Jobin mentioned the pillars of, let's say, you know, AWS's well-architected framework. So making sure that, you know, best practices and, and good principles and a good foundation is laid so that even if you end up in two, three years wanting to go down a refactor path or a replatform path, making sure that you haven't necessarily shot yourself in the foot <laughs> with decisions and choices that were made prior and, you know, try to limit the impact, limit the scope, um, you know, limit the blast radius, depending mm -hmm. on how you want to look at it. But um, yeah, sounds great. Since you're talking about DevOps in the cloud, I mean, I think we should be talking about the various DevOps tools offered by the cloud providers as well. Like you talk about mm -hmm. AWS, for example, you know, there's AWS Code Build, Code Deploy, uh, Code Pipeline. Uh, we have mm -hmm. various things offered by uh, Azure, I'm sure Azure DevOps. Uh, th there are a lot of other tools out there oh, which yeah. supports different cloud providers, like GitLab, for example, it supports all the different cloud providers. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. that's an interesting choice too, right? I mean, when you want to do DevOps and when you when you when you want to do DevOps in the cloud, what tool should I be choosing? I mean, uh, does one tool have advantage over the other one? I I would say that yeah, every tool has something over the other one. Um, AWS does have a bunch of code related things built into it. 
Um, obviously, they're going to be opinionated to AWS services, so they're going to uh -huh. be a little bit tightly, yeah. more tightly coupled, that kind of thing. Um, but if you look at something like a GitLab is something that would sit on top of and be a little bit more cloud agnostic, but then give you that abstraction layer to give a very, and in GitLab's case, a very wide range of functionality and a really like excellent um, set of SDLC related concerns. Um, but not tie you down too much in terms of, oh, well, if you come into AWS, well, now you're stuck here. Or if you go into AWS, or uh, rather Azure DevOps, oh, yeah, now you're stuck here. <laughs> um, it gives you that layer of abstraction on top of um, a lot of different uh, technology choices. And I think that's that's the bigger part of that whole discussion too, where you want to try to stay as generalized as possible mm -hmm. and as possible is, is going to be the trick, but uh, you know, don't, don't paint yourself into a corner. Don't, don't pick something, you know, like don't pick a web framework library that was written by uncle Bob at the back of the falafel shack, <laughs> as opposed to something like spring boot or, or, or a, a larger, more well-known framework because you know that the larger one is probably going to be around for more than six months as mm -hmm. opposed to, you know, oops, I included a library that's now out of date and has been unsupported for the past 15 years. <laughs> that um, is a valid advice for all tools or any technology that you're going to use. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I would say that, you know, there could be perfectly valid use cases where you want to pick a tool over the other. I mean, it could be because, you know, you're, you're, already, yeah, you're already in the cloud. You know that you're going to continue in that path, and you want to take advantages of it, uh, of its tight integration with the other services offered by the same mm -hmm. cloud provider, right? Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And that is also why you know there is no one DevOps solution that fits for everyone, right? For mm -hmm. each customer, we have to look at the special use case, identify what tools, what process best fit for that particular customer, and mm -hmm. that is also why we hire people like Peter to come and take a look at the system. Uh, and uh, definitely, I don't mean it as a sales pitch for adaptivists and hiring people, but, <laughs> but, we'll you know where but, but we won't be sad if you do. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you need to consider as well, don't you, what the, what the company's already been using. If there's a huge knowledge base in a tool that they've already been using and it is a good fit, then why wouldn't you go ahead with that? There's no point um, reinventing the wheel if it's not going to, you know, give a huge benefit mm -hmm. yeah yeah well and and, and again it, it it's still it fall everything falls back to choices consequences decisions whatever um assumptions all those things put together make a direction if you will mm -hmm. and that direction is good or bad it could be indifferent it could be whatever um it's everybody, you know, and, and, and as well as that is everyone, every organization is a snowflake. Everybody's different. Everybody has different needs, different requirements, different aspects. Um, and yeah, like that. And, the, and there is no that's why it's, it's it's a little bit funny to me sometimes when you do see, oh, you know, one stop DevOps and DevOps for all and all this kind of stuff. It's it's really challenging to do that at least to, for me is with a straight face um, because yeah, everybody has slightly different 
technology, like, because the devil's in the details with DevOps, especially, I think. It depends on like, the, the, the technology stack. I mean, if you take roll it back to the people, process and tools, you know, some places have 2,600 different tools because certain people know certain tools, other people don't know other tools. And then you have common processes that may be implemented in either different tools by different people. So it, it, it's, it's an interesting um, kind of, uh, what, what are they called, Tri triumvirate or whatever, that the combination of those three of people, process, and tools to form a particular culture, that combination is the most interesting thing to navigate, I think. Yeah. And and try but, to identify and try to kind of help help grow and help help just be. Sounds good. Yeah, but we can all agree that you know cloud does come with its specs, and you know DevOps and cloud is definitely uh, has its advantages, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, so speaking of it, you know, I remember one story. Uh, we, we when we were initially more like a startup, we we were actually you know doing DevOps. We we had good processes in place, and we actually had a Jenkins server for CI/CD pipelines and everything. Um, but that server was somewhere in Maryland, uh, in one of the remote locations, and you know, there were cases where a storm hits Maryland, and you know, suddenly the server goes offline. Uh -oh. And, you know, mm -hmm. in spite of all the processes we had in place, you know, <laughs> everything is down and you just can't work it, yeah. work on it. And somebody had to physically go there and start the servers back up so we yeah. could continue with our, you know, CI, CD and everything. So much fun. Uh, yeah. But obviously, <laughs> with everything on cloud these days, you know, that's that's just a funny story. Yeah. 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 I suppose that that could happen to an Amazon like warehouse somewhere. They could have a big store, but there's enough en enough of them that they could probably transfer. <laughs> yeah. well, I, rem I remember a similar story that I heard that um, it was a co-location company, and so they you know they'd be hosting servers, private private data centers, mm -hmm. for a bunch of different companies or whatever. Um, and you know, they'd done it right. They had multiple power ingresses, multiple network ingresses, everything, you know, everything trying to maximize uptime and everything else. Um, but th through some kind of fluke of engineering, all three of the network lines happened to be routed through the same conduit. And that conduit uh -huh. ran across a particular street. And that particular street had a uh, a bucket a bucket truck come by and rip the wires out of the wall oh, no. <laughs> um, which then proceeded to destroy and turn off the network connectivity to the entire data center now that's a disaster um, yeah <laughs> that's yeah so and but again a single site with a single data center as opposed to having you know multiple redundant off off off-site things that you do get with cloud native so yeah and no trucks so, are allowed to drive by. <laughs> data no, no trucks are definitely driving through the Amazon data center. I can tell you that. <laughs> but uh, so we're going to read a lot about this in your white paper, is what we are saying, Peter, and possibly hear about this too. Uh, what I'm hearing uh, is you and Jason are going to talk about this again in one of the upcoming Bright Talk in the summit. Yep. Um... The DevOps Enterprise, sorry, Enterprise DevOps Summit. 
I think I got that name right. I hope I got that name right. Yeah, but you um, have the one who is coming up in about. early April. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about DevOps in the cloud, and um, it it's going to it was inspired by the white paper that we talked about earlier as well. So, all yeah, right, awesome. looking forward to hear from you and this on that talk. Yeah, yeah, it should be good. If you haven't had enough of us, <laughs> there's more. <laughs> That's right. Wait, there's more. <laughs> there's always more. Always things to improve. <laughs> Well, I think we end the episodes these days with one question. Uh, if mm -hmm. we are doing DevOps, what would you be doing today? Peter, do you have any insights into that? One thing that you can do today. Learn about Docker, embrace Docker, embrace containers. Um, Docker being the predominant standard that everybody might know and love. But um, yeah, like look at look at how to containerize an application and, and what that entails if, if if you had listened to my uh podcast the last one you you probably would have heard containerization is what i said about the one thing that you should be doing so there i guess go. we are on the same page there That's uh, excellent today i will actually say another one i mean i think the very first one i talked about quick wins right i mean there are small changes that you can make to your pipelines which will improve speed and everything so mm -hmm. there are quick wins but probably today I will say the exact opposite. I mean, there are no quick wins in DevOps, right? Obviously there are small changes that you can make that makes big improvements, but DevOps is not a button which you can switch on, right? It's yeah. a journey, it takes time. So mm -hmm. you need to have the patience to understand that, you know, there, there's going to be quick wins, but at the end of the day, if you want to get it right, it's going to take some time. Mm -hmm. uh, so embrace the journey and, you know, uh, start taking pride in those quick wins. Right. Yeah. It, it, yep. we, we call it a yep. pipeline for a reason. There are different stages. Yep. Exactly. And I would be pro automating everything. <laughs> automating everything. Automating everything. Every time I find some, find myself doing something a few times now, I'm like, how can I automate this? <laughs> exactly. There we go. That's exactly the right attitude too. Do it once, <laughs> fine. Do it twice, write a script. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant well thank you for listening everybody um it's been a pleasure having you uh, that's it for today's episode cloudy with a chance of devops um please do leave us a review on the podcast if you're enjoying it please connect with us um on socials at adaptivist um let us know what you think um but from me from peter from jovin um, thank you, and we'll see you next time on DevOps Decrypted, which is part of the Adaptivist Live Network.